The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Happy Thanksgiving Eve, if that's actually a thing. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, joined by my co-host, John Sheeran. We are hopefully going to be joined by a special guest, one on that video intro montage there, Mr. Tim McGee. We're waiting to hear back from him. I got some confirmation both this week and last week that he was going to come on, so uh, we're going to carve out. We've got some time carved out for him, but we're waiting on his arrival, but in the meantime, John, happy early Thanksgiving, and the Bengals gave us something to be thankful for this week. Time carved out. Very timely pun from you, but Thanksgiving <laughs> Eve is absolutely a thing. I was looking back in my like Snapchat memories, and apparently like four years ago, I was out with my cousins, and I was drinking this thing called the Pilgrim, which is like this pitcher, big, giant concoction of just straight liquor. And I was like 21, so I figured, what the hell? I don't remember much of that night, so... Honestly, if Tim McGee is is out there celebrating Thanksgiving Eve is like one of the top five uh, drinking nights of of the country, you know, <laughs> we're gonna let him be him. But hopefully, he comes on here to join us. Yeah, we'll we'll check in with him in just a little bit there, and and uh, always an enthralling conversation for sure when we get him on the program. He tells it like it is, and uh, he gives gives us a lot of knowledge. So we're we're waiting to hear back from him. In the meantime, we're gonna cover a few things both in terms of Bengals news and other items there's a lot going on with the cincinnati Bengals at this point in time and so we've got a lot to kind of cover um i guess where we want to start while we're waiting here is uh the cincinnati Bengals come up big against the las vegas raiders they come up with a win and at one point late in the game john it was 16 13 and somehow the Bengals, in a matter of minutes to close out the game win it 32-13. Your overall impressions of the contest and the result from last Sunday. You know, in recent years, we've talked about like this team ending up in like close game situations where they've had close close losses, and sometimes they didn't really feel like close losses. This was a 19-point victory, but it didn't feel like a 19-point win. It was honestly a very ugly game for, like you said, the first 50 or so minutes, and then they kind of ran away 
against the Raiders. And I think part of that was because the Bengals knew they had limitations offensively. They were going up against a really strong pass rush in the Raiders, both with Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, even some of their defensive tackles. All of them had success against still an embattled Bengals offensive lineup. It's honestly kind of the loser of the day when it's all said and done. And the Bengals knew this. They knew that they couldn't have these long developing passing plays. They had to keep everything really short because the Raiders are going to keep everything in front of them. And they wanted to rely on the running game. And they really stuck to that. I think both Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow said in their postgame pressers that they were just waiting for the dam to break open with the run game. And they were afforded the chance to keep pounding the rock because the Raiders offensively couldn't do basically anything against the Bengals defense. That The defense kept the Bengals original game plan alive in this game because they just stifled the Raiders offense, an offense that earlier in the season was really good in terms of passing the ball and has completely just dwindled off in recent weeks. So because of the success from the Bengals defense, it allowed the Bengals to do what they wanted to do and not be in a situation where they had to change things up because if they were in a position where the Raiders were scoring more consistently or pushing the ball down the field more often against the Bengals defense, then maybe the Bengals have to be more aggressive in passing the ball in in straight drop back situations. And who knows if the offensive line could have held up against the Raiders pass rush in that situation, but because they were kept basically close the entire game, they were never in in a situation where they were rushed and hurried like they were two weeks ago against Cleveland. They eventually just allowed the Joe Mixon game plan to take shape and eventually Mixon finishes with what 120 something yards on 30 carries two touchdowns. They get a lucky turnover at the end and it kind of blew open for them. So kudos to them sticking to the game plan. But I really do think that it was the Raiders mistakes and just their lack of offensive effect effectiveness that really allowed that to happen. I agree with you. And there are a lot of positive takeaways aside from just a general win in a game that was on the road, quality opponent that you're looking to, you know, leapfrog in the, in the playoff standings. And this was kind of one you had to have to really increase your chances and, and make a, make a good run at things with, with seven games, including three divisional ones coming up down the stretch here. You, you kind of, had to have this one. Um, I don't want to say that the Raiders are frauds or anything like that. I, I think they're a pretty good team. I think that they have been through a lot off the field. Uh, and, and so they're dealing with all kinds of different things. And I, I, I was very pleased to see the run game get going. I was very pleased to see the defense play well. Um, you know, I mean, the defense really carried him. It was great to see what Evan McPherson did in tying an NFL record with those three 50 plus yard field goals, you got to like all that stuff. I I am concerned about some of the things we are seeing out of the passing attack, especially coming out of the bye. I was concerned that the opening drive kind of plotted along a little bit. And then the Bengals, uh, you know, they, they, they end up getting a sack fumble and that's not really what you wanted out of a buy. Obviously on a drive, you would think is either scripted or they have worked on a number of those plays, just not, you know, not ideal, but look, I mean, it also shows that not absolutely everything was working for this team, at least not to optimum performance. And they still got a double digit win on the road against a team that had a winning record. So I mean, there, there's all these things that make you feel positive. And now instead of saying, man, I wish they would just win a game like was like it was 2019, 2020. Now we're, we're getting kind of high, pretty high expectations in terms of, you know, 
the amount of yards you had on offense, et cetera, was just not enough um, in terms of yards per play and all that kind of thing. But they dominated the time of possession. They dominated the ground game. And maybe this is a little bit of a transition into how the Bengals want to start winning games in this final stretch as the weather gets worse, your AFC North battles, et cetera. Well, I think you hit on it. The standard has been raised because we've seen the potential of what this team can do. You know, they're not in a situation anymore where they're not expected to win these games. Like they're expected to win and look good doing it because of the talent that they've accumulated and because of the production that they've shown to be able to produce in some of these situations. But it does have some weight to still be able to win and I guess look good on the scoreboard while doing so while not everything was working. I think that was also something that Burroughs said. It was like the first time that they were able to win without him being too aggressive or without him having to attack down the field, just basically taking what I guess the defense gives you, which is just an annoying coachism, but it has some weight in this sense. So for those things to not be at full capacity, to be at 100% effectiveness, and for them to still be in a position to win, it's nice, right? Like It's good that you can win those games when not everything is working but at the same time like this this is the difference between analyzing losses as terribleness and wins as greatness or signs of good things to come it's got to be some nuance in this analysis where after losses the world is not ending there's some things that can be improved upon there's some things that didn't go their way and in some of these wins we have to still look at it realistically and say okay it's a win but some of these things have to improve if they are to beat other teams where they're the Bengals defense isn't likely to completely shut them out and only hold them to like 13 points, right? Some of these things have to get better because they may not be able to rely on giving the ball to Joe Mixon 30 times and speeding ahead of the game mm-hmm. for basically all 50 minutes. So even in wins like this, you have to take a step back and realize, okay, it was good that you could actually win ugly like this, but against better teams, that may not be the case. Here's, I, I, we talked about kind of the concerning parts of the team and, and where that was. I mean, I, I think, you know, you would have maybe seen, like to have seen a little bit more consistency in the pass rush, but overall the defense played very, very well, stifled the run game, got a couple of sacks, one of which turned into one of those sack fumbles we talked about last week that have been so elusive for the Bengals. Sam Hubbard played a, a nice game. DJ reader continues to score well in PFF metrics. So, I mean, Chidobe Awuzie played well. Eli Apple played well. Arguably, Eli Apple's best game. I mean, he was upwards of 90 in terms of overall score from from PFF. So I, I like the defense. Here's where I'm getting concerned, though, John, is, again, the, for the third straight game, the passing offense in – well, really mostly for the, the second straight game, there were still some issues prevalent in the Jets' loss, but – um, you know, for, for the three straight games, they're started to, we've started to see this, you know, lack of being able to get it, come down with a contested catch, the lack of the deep ball being connected to Jamar chase. Um, you know, you, you had a little more consistency out of Tyler Boyd this week, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, some of these things that made you so successful and so potent early in the season, at least on offense are not clicking right now. It's funny that you mentioned the chase that this was going to be potentially a stat of the week in the first seven weeks. uh, Jamar chase um, in terms of deep ball production was nine of 16 on those deep targets. And he's over seven since then. It's weird to like list the receiver like being over seven, like like it's a quarterback completion percentage. But honestly, a lot of that has to do with contested catch situations. He was, I think, right around 50 percent 
and hauling in contested catches. And I don't think he's caught a single one since that rate since that Ravens game. He was 0 for 4 against the Browns and he was 0 for 3 against the Raiders in this game. That has been like night and day the difference between this passing offense being amongst the best, most explosive and dangerous in this league and being really limited and you know not really effective and unfortunately causing some issues with offense. But I will say, and I don't know how much weight this has, I'm used to seeing this team fall completely flat on their face in these situations. When I say these situations, I mean coming off a of bye week in a new in a new city against a team that can give offenses fits with that pass rush. As far as post bye week games, this might be the best in recent memory that I can think of. And again, to be able to not have everything go your way and to just still come out on top, I think that was worth something. And honestly, let's let's talk about Evan McPherson a little bit too, mm-hmm. because we've we've seen the the dividends pay off in a sense of okay this guy has the the, the clutch factor you know there's uh, the green bay game windy kind of just screwy i don't know if god was messing with that game in general but in his second and final game in the dome he didn't have mcpherson he didn't have any situations where he needed to be clutch you know there wasn't a last second kick like he had against minnesota or jackson but we've already seen that he's capable of that but in situations where the offense couldn't finish drives where they were even gifted field position because of terrible penalties by the Raiders, which was a whole nother thing. It's the mm-hmm. reason why the Bengals offense had any success in putting up points. Three field goals beyond 50 yards, an NFL record for a rookie, or I think an NFL record in general. Like th- there's a difference between just being relied on in the clutch and being relied on consistently in situations where you were drafted because of that. Like he was drafted that high because he has that just natural leg power. He commented on NFL footballs being like, he has a lot more juice in these things. You can really get him up in the air, like as opposed to college balls. Mm-hmm. The ball just explodes off his foot. And it was a terrible field that the Raiders have, but I don't think he seemed to mind. But to be able to finish off those drives with that weapon of his leg, I think it shows the true value of Evan McPherson. It's not just the clutch situations like that will come and go. And sometimes it won't always work out. But those are the situations where you need him to be, in his own words, money Mac, basically 100% of the time. And he was in this game. Uh, there's a strong case to be made that he was the most valuable player on this team this week. And I know what Joe Mixon did, the the 120-plus yards and accounting for 12 total points with his two touchdowns. Uh, I mean, McPherson accounted for 14. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, I, I and with the offense sputtering, in the passing game and barely getting to quote unquote field goal range. I mean, the fact that he hit not one, not two, but all three of those was just monumental in terms of what the Bengals, um, you know, needed to needed to have done to, to get any kind of momentum. Now I want to go back a little bit to the wide receiver, passing game type of stuff that we were talking about some of those issues i'm seeing a couple of different things personally and i don't know if you will agree or disagree in terms of the issues that are causing some of this stuff and again it's it's kind of a three-pronged type of thing one is the receivers not coming down with with these contested catches wherein those were their supposed and we've seen evidence of it being their strengths in the pros as well t higgins jamar chase etc they're not coming down with those as regularly there are a couple, like in the first drive, a couple of times where Joe Burrow just tr- really tries to make things happen, holds onto the ball a little bit, 
Um, and sometimes receivers aren't getting open or separation uh, in some of these instances. That's some of the things I'm seeing. And then there are the occasional pass protection hiccups as well. So it's kind of a three-pronged thing in terms of sometimes it's the offensive line. Sometimes it's Joe Burrow maybe hanging on to the ball a little too long or not living to play another down type of thing. And it seems to be also on the on the receivers not coming down with these contested catches or, you know, um, maybe not getting the separation that that's expected on a play-to-play basis. And we talked about this in the offseason as to what can improve like Joe Burrow's game. Like, is it just pass blocking or is it receivers gaining more separation or just taking advantage of contested catch situations? And I think we're seeing kind of both play out as to why the offense is being limited. I th- I don't think that you can absolve the offensive line of any blame here because they're just not playing up the snuff against some of these good pass rushes. But just in the last three games, T. Higgins is three of eight. In contested catch situations, Jamar Chase is 0 for 9. I said 0 for 7 earlier, but he's 0 for 9. Tyler Boyd's 2 for 3, but his average depth of target is significantly uh, smaller than Chase and I believe Higgins as well. So like, there are situations where not only are you not getting production against tight coverage, but you're not seeing a lot of spacing because I think teams are are designing their coverages a little bit differently. Uh, Burrow mentioned specifically that they're seeing a lot less man coverage and they're seeing more zone, which limits spacing in that sense if you're not designing these route concepts enough. And I think that has to do with the success that they were having with Chase earlier in the season. They're trying to game plan around it a little bit different. They're trying to make, they're trying to force like T. Higgins to beat them down the field. And I think that's why we saw a lot of Tyler Boyd in this game because if T. Higgins and Jamar Chase can generate separation on the outside and, and they can't haul in some of those situations, then it's just Boyd underneath taking advantage of matchups against you know linebackers in the slot. And that's where a lot of the first downs came from in the first half. I think at least three of Boyd's six catches moved the chains. And it wasn't a high volume game that we saw against like Jacksonville or something. But we definitely saw more Tyler Boyd in this game, which I think we should have expected based off of what they said after the Browns game when they said, yeah, we basically kind of neglected Boyd. So if these are going to be the games where teams are keen in on Higgins and Chase and forcing them to beat them in tight coverage. We may just see just more games like this from Boyd. Unfortunately, it just has to be, I guess it just has to be more often because they can't really survive on just 150 yards of passing per game. They cannot, they cannot. And, um, you know, again, there's a lot of other things that uh, are, um, you know, at play here. And uh, so, um or we're getting some messages, I think, from from uh, Tim McGee here. We're trying to get him going. Um, so sorry about that. But uh, look, um, the the Bengals have a lot of things to iron out. But uh, again, the messaging here should be that uh, basically um, the, the the Bengals played an imperfect game and still won on the road against a quality opponent by quite a few points. So, um, you know, what, what do you, what do you make of the, the offensive line play as a whole right now, John, because that's going to be something we'll talk about a little bit here in terms of, um, where, you know, where we, where the Bengals are in terms of quality of play in a number of different facets. What do you make of the offensive line play and what you've seen, particularly in this game when they had a lot of success running the ball, but so many negative plays as well. Yeah. And then you also said there was, you know, kind of some indictments in terms of pass protection too. 
it's funny enough specifically in this in this game we've talked this season about the the shortcomings of the offensive line primarily at center and right guard i think the center and right guard were the two best offensive linemen in this game trey hopkins played really well the raiders don't run a lot of defensive fronts where they have like a, a true nose tackle so it was mainly just trey hopkins helping out in pass protection with some double teams but Hakeem Adeniji, I think the praise from Zach Taylor is legit. I think he's solidified himself as the rightful starter at right guard. He's just more athletic in pass protection, but he also has a little bit more pop in his in his game and just sustaining blocks and displacing guys in the run game, which wasn't really a thing for him last year. He's always been an athletic guy, but I think he has more strength to him, which should help him if he is to be a full-time guard moving forward. But he played really well in this game. It's unfortunately the tackles that were the issues. And that makes sense based off of what their matchups were. Yannick and Max Crosby. Max Crosby made Riley Reef. I don't want to. It's, it's a curse where he he dominated. And unfortunately, Riley Reef didn't really stand a chance. There were just a couple moves that Crosby pulled out of his bag that Reef had no idea what to do with him. And that unfortunately, I think, led to at least one sack. I think another one was like a Raiders penalty or something like that. But Crosby played really well play really well doesn't bode well for reef going up against some other elite pass rushers remaining on the on the docket but unfortunately you know raiders like some other teams in the past they executed a lot of stunts and twists to confuse the Bengals' offensive line which continues to unfortunately work it led to some joe burrow scrambles that he made the best of but it unfortunately killed some plays that you know maybe they could have been successful passing plays down the field had burrow been given enough time so this was known coming into the game. Raiders pass rush is by far their biggest strength on defense. On defense, It's what drives that defense. And it took advantage of a Bengals offensive line with two tackles. Both Jonah Williams and Riley Reef did not play very well in this game. And it's just weird because we've, we've seen, aside from Quinn Spain, the interior offensive line struggle while Jonah and Reef have been more or less consistent. But that wasn't the case this week. Well, again, there, yeah, I mean, you saw some good push from Quentin Spain. I mean, guys like uh, Drew Sample and Stanley Morgan also pitching in to see, um, you know, seeing some good blocks in the run game there. But, uh, you know, again, there's, it's just the the overall lack of consistency. There were some problems given by those edge rushers to both Jonah Williams and Riley Reef, like you said. So overall, still the Bengals win um, and uh, they get to six and four. They've got a big one coming up against the Steelers. And we're going to hopefully be joined by Tim McGee in just a few minutes here. We've been kind of going back and forth. I think he's having a little trouble logging into the video chat. So we may have to get him on the phone um, if that's uh, what's preferred there. We'll work on that in just a sec. But kind of a good transition into, I I, I don't know if it's a state your case or a stat of the week or what have you, but we'll just kind of call it a hybrid of both a little bit. Um, One of the things that I noticed and, and has come out about the Bengals is Basically, you know, the the idea that they are really successful in part because they are the least penalized team and have the least amount of penalty yards in the league. Um, and they they have even through the struggling years of the Zach Taylor era, that's this has been something that has been a, a little bit of a hallmark for him. You know, you can point to the fact that he has always wanted team captain former team captains of their previous teams and high character guys and high football IQ guys and all of that to avoid 
some of these penalties. Um, and, you know, we talk about the offensive line play and how we're still not overly satisfied with a lot of different a- aspects of it. But um, the, the thing that I started thinking about, John, was, you know, even though the sacks and the hits are still, I mean, there's five hits on Burrow in this game, three sacks, even though those are still coming, even though there's still some inconsistency from drive to drive in the run game, there's one area and that's that the offensive line is playing a lot better this year, it would seem. And that is in penalties. And, you know, at, from a team perspective, obviously the penalties are being cut down, but also the offensive line is, is not giving up these killer penalties that stall out drives that give you those big negative plays. There are some negative run plays. Don't get me wrong that, that occur still. And, and obviously sacks occur, but, when the penalties are lessened and overall the sacks and, and all of that seems to be, seem to be improved upon from last year, year prior. I mean, all, all of this kind of comes into a, an overview in, in looking at the progression of the offensive line or something, something uh, that, resembles a a marginal improvement in a lot of different ways. And real quickly, what I want to show, um, and we're going to get Mr. McGee on in just a second here, but real quickly, what I want to show on this is the, uh, the kind of year to year improvement on this. And this is from pro football reference here. If you look, I've got it pulled up here. These are the penalties over here. Um, you can see here on this column where my mouse cursor is, you got one penalty from Redmond, one penalty from Hopkins, two from Fred Johnson. Um, you know, you've got John Miller in here with three, John Jerry with three, Andre Smith with four, Billy Price with four, Michael Jordan with five, Bobby Hart with seven. You're, now, when you when you go to this year, granted, this is this is two years ago, but when you go to this year, you're going to see quite a bit of improvement from the players. Now, not everybody is playing. Um, let's see here. So here you go. Riley Reef, Jonah Williams, one, two, 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 two. You got three from Spain, a couple of which were questionable, and you had three from Carmen, and Carmen's not in the lineup anymore. But granted, now that was a full season slate as compared to this. But my point being, John, is that the, the lack of penalties by the offensive line seems to be something that is uh, should be noted isn't really talked about because we talk about the sacks and the hits and the inconsistencies on offense i feel like this is something that needs to be noted yeah and like you mentioned um carmen has three he's no longer starting trey hill has three he isn't a starter anyways isaiah prince has two he's just used as like an extra lineman from time to time so the majority of starters yeah they're playing consistent and they're playing together there's no silly penalties. There's no holding. There's no false starts. I think that comes down to coaching primarily. I think that's the Frank Pollock effect. He's getting mm-hmm. guys in there who know what they're doing, who aren't going to make the silly mistakes. You can live with offensive linemen who are marginally talented. You can live with them giving up pressures and sacks from here and there. If, if that's what kills drives, then that's what that's what it is. It's those plays com- compounded with the penalties that has what made the Bengals offensive line as bad as it was in 2019, 2020. It's why it was inexcusable to leave both Alex Redmond and Bobby Hart out there for as long as the team did. Not only were they just not very good at blocking, they were consistently penalized for it as well. So that is basically like a microcosm of like the 
gentle and slow progression that this offensive line has made. There's still much work to be done. A lot of the sacks, unfortunately, have come from both the tackles, but there is progress being made, and I think that's primarily because of the coaching and just getting the right guys in there. And that has definitely made an improvement, and it's definitely allowed them to sustain drives and let the offense kind of realize some of its potential here. Well, no more, no more false start. Sixty-two holding sixty-two. Um, we <laughs> we don't have that ha- happening on a regular basis so over and over again. But uh, not to indict just one player. Obviously, it's across the board. But um, we we know that that one player was a big big issue. But at any rate, that was something else I wanted to bring up. That's kind of a transition in uh, from the Bengals beating the Raiders and into what we're going to be talking about uh, towards the end of the, this episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And with our special guest who joins us now, we, we told you at the beginning of the show, Tim McGee, one of the top 50 best Bengals players as voted on a couple of years ago. With the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the the great wearers of the number 85 jersey and one of our favorite guests because he brings it, he tells it like it is, he's now covering the Bengals, and we are pleased to be joined by Tim McGee. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. What's happening? Well, I... I I feel bad. I feel like I've just been bugging the heck out of you. I, I apologize, but I appreciate you making time for our program again. Like I said, you are one of our easily our favorite guests, not only because of your playing career, but your analysis of the team. How are you doing? Happy Thanksgiving Eve. Hey, Anthony, listen, I have a wife and three daughters. There's no such thing as annoying me. <laughs> I am numb to it. And actually, you did a pretty good job. You and, and, and Mike uh Hossbrook, he uh, Hossbrook, he called he texted me and said hey are you going to be on tonight i was like you know what i gotta figure out if it's audio or video because i gotta hurry up and get in front of a computer or something <laughs> so all well, is good I, I appreciate it mike mike was the the conduit to us being introduced to you and uh <laughs> he was excited to hear that you were going to be on the program tonight but i i again appreciate you making time especially right before a holiday um, I guess we'll just dive kind of right into it in terms of what, what we're seeing from this team this year. Last time we had John, I think it was right around this time last year. Uh, you know, we were talking about, is Zach Taylor going to make it through the year? Uh, is it, what, what are we seeing from him? Has he lost the locker room? All of that kind of stuff here. They are now Tim at six and four. They're right in the thick of the AFC playoff race. Is this surprising to you? Um, or did you think that based on where the Bengals were after free agency in the draft that, hey, they could be kind of sneaky good this year? It's mixed bags for me. And because uh, number one, I want to give credit because they're six and four. They're in second place of the AFC North. So you got to get credit. Let's, let's, I mean, let's just face it. I, I don't know if we really thought we probably hoped and prayed and wished and all the other good things and crossed our fingers that they would be in the position that they're in now. And that's the positive side. They play very well, in, in, in my very strong opinion. However, are they blowing it? I, I, you know, I don't want to dwell on the negative, but the question comes to mind and the concern of mine is, are they blowing it considering they are the healthiest team? Mm. 
all the other, the three other teams, and they're, they've been decimated with injuries. I'm talking about from the quarterback position to COVID to you, – you, you look at Baltimore, just as an example, and I can go through all the teams. Baltimore has – they're missing their left tackle. They're starting the all-pro left tackle. They're missing their cover corner. They don't have a running back. Matter of fact, I may be their running back next week. Maybe Anthony, maybe John – who knows who's going to be their running back? <laughs> we'll have a committee. We'll yeah, have a committee and, and, and that's yeah, what they've yeah. been doing. And then you look at – so, obviously, they're not in a health condition. Although they were predicted to win the AFC North, although they're winning by one game. But think of the job that, you know, Harbaugh has done there to maintain this. And when you look at Pittsburgh, Ben's out. They, you know, they, they've lost their linebackers. T.J. Watt, the highest-played defensive player – He's been out. So then you look at Cleveland. Cleveland's whole team has been out at, at some point in time. So when you when you look at that and you're going into the second half of the season, you're in the second half of the season, and you look where the Bengals are and you look at the tough schedule that they have ahead of them, you know, it's I thought and was hoping they would have more of a pad in their in, in the win-loss column and the lead in the AFC North. But slipping to the the New York Jets, man, I'm telling you guys now, that game will come back to haunt them every single week. They'll look and go, if we would have won that game that we were supposed to have won. It is weird talking about Bengals injury luck rather than, you know, being snakebit in that regard. Maybe they're just confused on how to handle it. I don't know. Um, but we I think we have to talk about the the wide receiver here, Jamar Chase. There was a question that Mo Egger asked uh, Keyshawn Johnson earlier this week. And it was basically along the lines of for everything that Chase has done this th- this year, he's kind of hit a little bit of, of a of a stat wall, if you will. What what and Egger asked Johnson, like, what is the one thing that you would tell him to do uh, to improve or basically kind of get out of the slump? And Keyshawn didn't really have an answer. So Tim, do you, is there one thing that like every rookie receiver kind of has to get over in their rookie year if they kind of hit a wall, or is Jamar's uh, situation a little bit unique to him? It's unique to him, however, it's the T. Higgins effect. T. Higgins has been Mr. Irrelevant in that offense. He's not making the plays that we know he's capable of making because he's not getting the opportunity. He's not getting the target. So if you take some of the pressure off of Jamar Chase, because remember, he went from, oh, my God, this guy can't catch the ball. Who in the hell drafted this guy? What, was, <laughs> what, what were they thinking? This guy, he dropped three passes in preseason, back to back to back. He's a bust already. So now we've gone from he's a bum to, oh, he's the almighty of the receiver position. And let's just face it. He's probably somewhere in between. He'll settle down and then he'll you'll see his star rise again. But the T. Higgins effect, if T. Higgins was more a part of the offense and Tyler Boyd as well, because you said you saw the last game, they definitely had a game plan going in to get Tyler Boyd the ball. Now, if you start spreading it and let them be that earth, wind, and fire they so desire to be, I really believe you'll see Jamar Chase's numbers go back up consistently. They won't be, he won't have the 200 yard games. But right now, if you if if you break the game down, you break the film down, you see Joe Burrow is kind of forcing the ball to him a little bit, and which may be a little natural, but you do see a T. Higgins out of the offense, and that's just something they're going to have to figure out how to reincorporate him back into that offense to, to, to continue to grow and to continue to add balance with that explosive offense that they have. 
Talking with Tim McGee, former Bengals wide receiver and current analyst of the team, one of our favorite guests on this program. Happy to have him join us once again. I, I, I guess just quickly, kind of to piggyback on that last question, what was your what was your immediate reaction when the Bengals drafted Jamar Chase instead of Panay Sewell? Did you have did you have a dog in that fight? Did you were you were you saying, hey man, they should have drafted that offensive lineman? I know it's easy to say now based on what Chase has done, but. Um, I mean, were you were you a team Sewell, team Chase? What what was your what was your kind of pick at that point in time? I, I thought they could have literally taken a dart with Pitts as well, the tight end, if he was a yeah. they oh, could have yeah. t- taken a dart and they couldn't have gone wrong. Yeah. I, I but I was based on, and I have to say this, based on their needs, Sewell was the player that they should have drafted. Now they were going to forever be married to that draft pick and watching Sewell and watching Jamar Chase's career. We know it, uh, and it continues to do do so. But obviously what Chase has meant to the offense has been such an electrifying thing, and from a dynamic standpoint, what he not just brings to the offense, but to the fans, but to the the whole atmosphere. I mean, he sells tickets, let's just face it. Sewell will not, Panay Sewell will not have sold these tickets. Let's Let's just be honest. And he's such... Jamar Chase is such a dynamic player, and when I say dynamic, he can beat you at he can beat you with a slant, he can beat you with the deep ball, he can beat you right before half, and he's proven it over and over and over again. The one thing I hope the coaches do a better job at is settling him down and and limiting it the expectations they they what they're expecting him to do. Just chill a little bit, you know, and and he'll he'll come back. So don't press the panic button. Or let me just say this. Maybe if you press the paddock button again and set, call him a bum again, he'll have another three, two, maybe 300 yards. So if it's the working formula, I'll take him no, no matter what. <laughs> I, f- I feel confident in asking you this question because I feel like you're get, you're going to give us a clear and honest answer based off of your, your previous uh, perceptions. That you so will f- get. A hundred percent. Yeah. At six and four. Now the Bengals have done some good things, but there's also some things that they need to improve on based off of where you thought this team and their units before the season. What is something that has genuinely surprised you either good and bad? And what is something that you feel like you've gotten right based off how you thought this team was going to do this year? Well, number one, I felt this team was the most overall talent team. I got that right. They're the most talented team in, in the AFC North. If you look at their entire roster, I, I felt that way and, and continue to feel that way. Um, what I what I per se got wrong was I didn't think they would be able to turn it around so fast. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I, you know, again, I, there, but there were several factors that played a part of that. And again, injuries were, you know, a big part, things that you can't control. What my biggest disappointment right now is, again, is the fact that I think they should have a bigger cushion in, in as far as getting that get, getting that lead because you know you got you know you got Pittsburgh coming in here you got the 49ers you got the, the LA Chargers you got the Kansas City Chiefs and you got the Cleveland Browns again so you, you got a real formidable schedule you you're not going to have you know the New York Jets and the Chicago Bears and you know teams that I don't think are as talented or they're going through a certain phase so the window of opportunity is here and now for the Bengals because the Browns are going to get healthy. Pittsburgh is going to reload. And I personally always, I, people get on me for saying this, but I got to be brutally honest. I've always thought for the last 10 years or so, Mike Tomlin was the second best coach in football. 
the guy takes a, a roster, whether you like it or not, whether Pittsburgh is your nemesis and you cannot stand them and all that stuff. But the guy basically takes a talentless team and forever, every year they seem to be right on the cusp of the, of the playoffs. How does he do this? How do they, how you talk about them tying uh, the Detroit Lions. Look who their quarterback was. It was the quarterback was Tim McGee. Did you know Tim McGee played quarterback in that game? So, you know, so again, getting back to the Bengals, I'm I'm pleased where they are right now. I think I it, it, I felt it should have been a little the, the they should have been in the lead, and it should be padded at this point in time. But uh, they they've been the luckiest team in the National Football League. They don't get penalties. And all the penalties go against them, and the timing of the penalties. You know, one, I, you know, again, being on the radio, WOW, we do the post game. Sometimes mm-hmm. we do the pregame show. We get to talk a lot to other, you know, other people, other uh, people in a similar position, and they're forever week in and week out. They're forever complaining that the officials want to see the Bengals be successful. And when you look at it and you break it down from the Chicago Bears game to the Minnesota Vikings game, you kind of go, hmm. But Jets, Jets yeah, game. Jets, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're like, hmm, how <laughs> does this keep happening? But keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. When the luck turns or become neutral in the second part of the season, I don't think they're going to be able to play on luck. I don't think they're going to be able to rely on the officials, not to say they are, but they're going to have to win some teams. And the passing game, as you guys know, being in, in probably having inclement weather as far as snow and rain and, and sleet, the passing game will be affected. So they're going to have to run the ball effectively and efficiently. And I felt they did that the last game. And I was very, very, very happy that they did it because they got taken to the woodshed against Cleveland, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And they showed them this is how you really play football in the fall in the Midwest. Well, we, we talked about Penny Sewell. Uh, we've got a question from Mike Holbrook in our live Facebook chat um, talking about Jonah Williams specifically. I guess we can tie that into it to one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Are, are you still kind of concerned at all uh, overall about the offensive line? Are you happy about some of the progress we made right before you came on the air? We were talking about how the penalties have been a little bit more limited on the offensive line this year as opposed to the past two years when there was just monumental struggles um, how are you feeling about the offensive line with the Bengals not going after Sewell? Their second round pick that they invested in is not in the starting lineup right now, but uh, somehow Joe Mixon's getting 100 yard games and is one of the leading rushers in the league. And Joe Mick, uh, Joe Burrow rather is one of the leading passers in the league in terms of yards and touchdowns. What's our measurable? And I, I, I'm going to answer that. If the measurable is the things you named Joe Burrow is throwing the ball and he has a bunch of um, passing yardage and Joe Mixon has a bunch of rushing yardage, I would agree 100%. But if we're talking about the future of the franchise and Joe Burrow getting his ass handed to him all the time, (laughs) getting hit damn near every single play and getting bruised and battered, well, I don't know what the trade-off, but I think you got a damn good quarterback in, in Joe Burrow and when you look at the offensive line, it is not all the offensive line. It could be Burrow sometimes for holding on mm-hmm. the ball. It could be the tight end not getting his block, the fullback, the receivers not getting open. It could be a, a multiple thing. So I, I'm not blaming one particular area. But I still think the line is very inconsistent. We talked last two weeks ago or before the bye week, we talked about how weak they were, you know, how bad what what a bad game they had against Cleveland. 
Then this week they come back. So you got that up and down. But again, I, I think the coaching is really truly making a difference. And if they get better and better talent, I think they'll get better and better. But I know Mike asked a question about Jonas Williams. Jonas Williams stinks. I mean, he's just not playing mm. well. He stinks. I mean, it's. but I still think he has the potential to be. But right now, but I, I, I use that conjunction, but he is playing against the Miles Garrett's of the world week in and yeah. week out. So, you know, to measure him, yes, his performance is pretty or pretty bad, but he is going against the top of the top of the top of the food chain. So, uh, you know, I guess I, I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but I, I am tired of seeing people run, run, run by him, but mm. you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I will say like now is not the time to really defend Jonah Williams based off the past couple of weeks. So that's probably a safe take yeah. to to, to kind of lay out there. But going off of just like what you said about Burrow, because I, I wanted to like ask a former player this because it's something that I kind of believe. Just does, does it really matter how much elite talent that you put in front of Burrow, or is he just going to be that quarterback that will always try to make something out of nothing and will end up taking just more hits? than maybe a more conservative quarterback can can do. Because even now, like after that injury, we still see him try to create and try, and try to extend plays and unfortunately take some sacks when he should be maybe throwing the ball away. Like, does, is that ever going to go away even after that injury? Or is it just a matter of just getting as much talent in front of him as possible? Well, I think you you always want to – the way the Bengals built their offense, they built it around the skill position opposed to – if you look at San Diego, they built it around the offensive line or building around the off offensive line with uh, Justin Herbert. So it's it's just a matter of how you want to do it. Obviously, with, since Zach Taylor is an offensive-minded coach, a passing game coach, that's how he felt you know would be the, the the direction he wanted to build the offense. You know whether I agree with him or not is a mute point. Uh, but I, I I don't think Joe Burrow is playing lights out football. And if you ask the people outside of our area, I'm talking about get outside of Bengal Nation. We're in Bengal Nation. We love the Bengals every time Joe Burrow. People don't look at Joe Burrow as a top five or top ten quarterback. They look at him as a with a hell of a potential. But when they look at his full body of work and they're looking at the interceptions that he's been throwing and the injuries he's been taking, you know, they do. And I'm not saying it's true or not. They do kind of rate Justin Herbert, you know, a little ahead of Joe Burrow. So I, I'm just worried as a Bengal fan, I'm worried that the guy that I know has Hall of Fame potential. I'm just worried that he will be more like a boxer that's just constantly taking a jab, a jab and jab. And it's not going to affect him while he's young, while he's 23, 24, 25. But the middle to latter part of his career, you, I think you'll unfortunately start seeing all those hits add up. And mm. that's when his body will break down. I want Joe Burrow here in Cincinnati for the next 16 years. I think he's that type of player. But I think it's going to affect him long term if they don't give him the protection that he needs, whether it's the Secret Service or the FBI or the <laughs> CIA. You know, He needs protection, max protection. He needs protection because he's taken – he's just taken too much, too many, too many hits – and, and John, to your point about his trying to make something out of nothing, that's coaching right there. That's nothing but coaches. Coaches will tell you, you know, if, if you have a good coach, and I, I think Zach Taylor is a decent coach, don't get me wrong, offensive-minded that is. But if, you, if, if, if you're able to tell him and get Joe Burrow to understand Joe, 
sometimes we we need you to make the decision for the team. We don't always need to force it because here's what we do here in Cincinnati. We are praising him when he scrambles like Jamar Chase. If you watch the film, Jamar Chase, some of his passes were what's called what we call scramble drills. The play has broken down. He throws mm-hmm. it. Okay. Now, if two of those turns in from touchdowns to interceptions, the dialogue is totally different. So you have to be careful because, yes, everything is going right for the Bengals. Think about this, guys. Everything, the penalties, the balls bounce this way, hits the field goal and goes in, the goal post and goes in, the penalties at the right time, the interceptions, the fumbles, and they're still in second place. So it's going to turn. And I'm not saying it's going to turn for the worst. It's going to turn for the normal. And when it turns for the normal with the competition they play in, it's going to be tougher for them. But I hope they're up to it. Talking talking with Tim McGee uh, for a few more minutes. Want to get his thoughts on the upcoming game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before we get there, hopefully you've got a couple more minutes with us, Tim, if, if you're cool with that. Appreciate I'm it. I'm, I'm chilling at the house. All right. I appreciate it. Um, I, I kind of want to bridge your playing days to to maybe some of the, the things with the team, um, not only on the field, but I guess I want to start with some of the things we saw off the field from this ownership group and Elizabeth Blackburn stepping into a new role. Uh, I, I would love to get your thoughts on the Ring of Honor that they unveiled and kind of some of the other endeavors here. We had Anthony Munoz on a, a couple of months ago, Ken Anderson as well. Um, and they talked about what that meant to them and being in, in, inducted into that class. But I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on on what the Bengals have done from a former player engagement standpoint as well as fan engagement standpoint. From the from, let me let me speak from three different angles. I'll speak from a personal angle of I, I like what they're doing. I like what they're trying to do. I like what Elizabeth Blackburn is trying to do. I, I get it. She's she's bringing a more proactive approach. Um, for there's different segments of there's the fans who I I don't know if their experience is has gotten a lot better. Is it because they're winning or they're competing or is it because, you know, they're playing better music or there's much more <laughs> hoopla at the stadium? I don't think that's the particular case, uh, but maybe they'll get there. I mean, let's just be optimistic here from a former st- former player standpoint. I will speak for more people outside of than myself nothing's changed. I mean, yeah, you're, you're always going to have, you're always, they're always going to cater every, or, well, most organizations will cater to the Hall of Famer, of course, and Anthony Munoz and, 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 and Kenny Anderson. Of course, they're going to cater to them. Those are the top, top players, but you may have thousands of, uh, of former players. And for the most part, that hasn't improved. And I mm-hmm. hope that does improve. I, I hope they're more receptive to listening to other people or or former players. Now, let me balance that off. Former players do feel there's a segment of former players. Their butts feel entitled. They feel entitled to certain things that they don't, in my opinion, don't deserve. It's a bartered system. When I played, I was compensated. When I got done, I was done. And it's no different than if you worked at PNG or General Electric, you don't get to go back in there and go, you know, I've worked here for 30 years. Could I, you know, could I get some free cereal and some and some dial <laughs> soap or whatever products they sell? You don't get that. And as a player, you know, again, I got to balance it. As a former player, you had to pay for your ticket. They gave you two tickets. You had to pay for the rest. So why in the hell would you think you're going to get some free tickets? So sometimes it's the management and sometimes it's the players. And I just hope 
and wish they will get to a point where they will listen to some, you know, somebody to mediate that hmm. and say, okay, here's what's fair, here's what's not fair. Because for the most part, the former players are not very happy because, again, the 31 other teams, they, you know, we hear it. You know, I know my friends go up to Cleveland and, you know, it's a big hoopla. And you, I can call the Redskins who I play for one year. They'll get me two tickets. They'll do this. But, you know, again, the flip side of it is players are brats. You know, former they, they, they want to be treated as if they're the asset on the field right now. Dude, we're it's over, bro. You know, there's no other way to say it. It's over, dude. You, you don't get anything and whatever you get, you should be damn happy you got it. But some players don't think that way. I think the solution here is to vote Tim McGee into the ring of honor. Maybe, maybe some, some 100%. things will start to start to change here. Um, I got my own ring of honor. I'm in my ring of honor right now. There you go. There that's you the go. mindset. That's there the mindset. Go. The McGee ring of honor. That's right. Probably a little bit better too. Yeah. Let's talk about this game coming up. Um, there's a lot of things that we can kind of discuss here, but I think the overline one for me, at least is just the last two games that these teams have played. They took the Steelers by surprise, obviously last year on Monday night with the Ryan Finley show. And then they kind of handed it to them uh, back in week three when, you know, to your point, Bengals had a lot of their guys healthy. Steelers did not. And the Bengals played really well. But now we're at a point where this rivalry looks more like an actual rivalry. The the scales have kind of tipped back into, into the Bengals favor. Now that they're playing again, Steelers are going to have some motivation here. Do you sense that like this team and this franchise in general doesn't feel as scared of the of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the bad Mike Tomlin team? Like, do, do you feel like that that has changed based off of just how the last two games have kind of come? I think it's still in their in the back of their minds that the Steelers are the Steelers, and the Bengals have to play a a higher level than the Steelers. Uh, they have to play their best game where the Steelers will come down. But when you when you look at the rosters, I think it's very important to look at the rosters and, and you see this is not a Pittsburgh Steeler team of the past. This is not a dominating football team. I mean, just you, you saw them last week. You saw them the week before. You know, Ben's kind of on it, if not on this last in his last year, he's on his last leg for sure. Najee Harris is a freaking talent, man. Oh my gosh. They could they, you know, their offensive line is and T, their offensive line is so so and TJ Wide has been in and out of the lineup. So again, they they go in and it, it's it's so crazy because I give Mike Tomlin like how does he stay in these games with the third and fourth team guys week in and week out? And I understand we measure them only on two things: wins or losses. That's it. We we measure them, but I measure because I'm 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 you know obviously being a former player, I'm looking deeper and I'm going, God, that guy wasn't even on a practice squad last week. You know, he was in a grocery store working at Kroger's. You know, and now he's playing, he's starting, he's contributing. How does he do this? You know, how does he, you know, like Belichick, how do they get the best out of these guys that should not be competing? But clearly the Bengals are the most talented, will be the most talented football team on Sunday. But now let me say this. We felt that same way about the Cleveland Browns and the Bengals got their behinds handed to them. So I think the Steelers are capable. They're coming off of two-game losing streak. Well, tie and a loss, the Detroit and, and, and the uh, Chargers. You know, it's any man's game. And the one thing you know about the NFL, there's parity. You see, besides the Detroit Lions, you're seeing upsets. You're seeing teams, you know, you, you thought the Texans was going to lose to the Titans. They turn it around, they win. So that's what I why I love the National Football League over colleges because you don't have – 
every week, you know, of the eight, nine games you have, you're not going to have that 59 to three blowout where, you know, Ohio State played the University of Unknowns and beat them, you know, 99 to zero. So I, I like the parody. I, I like the matchup this week. I think it's going to be very interesting because I do think the Steelers do come in with a mental edge over the Bengals. Well, I don't know if that's if that's indicative of a prediction on your part in terms of who you think will, will emerge victorious, but uh, you know, I, I, it's going to be a tough game. I, I've been kind of the guy that's that's always been, you know, Steelers just never die, and Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record as as a head coach as as for all of the years he's been a head coach at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they just they don't know how to quit, and they they always seem they always seem to play their best football also in November and December somehow. They're, um, they're built that way, yeah. Yeah, they're a defensive team that you know run and they run the ball on offense. And like you said, you, you got to give credit where credit is due. But I uh, I still think the Bengals will come out on top. I don't know if I think that or I just, I'm just hoping and praying and wishing <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So I I really truly believe that um, the Bengals are more talented. But I I believe the Bengals have the talent the advantage in talent, and the Steelers have the the advantage in they're inside the Bengals head. So yeah, I think the Bengals have to go through this. If you hear Tyler Boyd there, they, they seem to, you know, give this, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. We're on that my year. They're quitting it, you know, and it's kind of like my old alma mama, my, my old alma mater that, well, at the university of Tennessee, we talk about a rival, you know, Alabama and Tennessee. I'm like, no, it's not a rival. It's a rival to you, but it's not a rival to Alabama. It's a homecoming <laughs> game to Alabama. So, right. you know, it, it's, I, I'm so interested to see as these teams head in different directions, the Bengals ascending and the Steelers descending, and if they're still right there. And that, Anthony, you touched on touched on that. That's the most amazing part. Pittsburgh is not very talented, but why are we talking about them? Any other team would not be in a the game. They don't quit. They could they find ways to continue to play, and they always seem. If you saw that Chargers game. Man, how was they oh. still in that game? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I guess we'll see. That's where they play the games. But it just, it's just – I, I love the rival. It's kind of back now. It's a little exciting, to, you know, Pittsburgh to come in. So uh, – and they'll, they'll be in with 20,000 fans at uh, Paul Brown Stadium, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been awesome talking to you. Before we get you out of here um, – Quickly, I just ha- I just have to know. In your playing days with the Cincinnati Bengals under Sam Weish with Boomer Sice, and what was the play that was called in the huddle where you said this one's coming to me? It's going for six, no doubt. What was what was the play call? It was called flip right. I'm, I'm going to give you the whole the whole cadence. All right, all right. Flip I'll right, and I'll, I'll break the, I'll break it down. Flip right means there's two receivers on one side. Okay, and if I was the X receiver, Eddie would have a tight split. So that's why we called it, you know, flip or whatever. So Eddie would have a tight tight split. Mm-hmm. And Eddie or myself, depending on we called it Z Dover, okay, which is a deep over. Or we, we called it the, the play action. So there were yep. actually two plays. And what that meant was when you if you saw Eddie Brown come under me, so I would go right through the defense, use my speed take both of the uh, the safeties out because they had to respect it. And Eddie would come right under me and Boomer would just hit him and he would like be wide open. Uh, so that was, you know, one of my favorite plays because we ran it both ways. We ran it X, which I was the X and we ran it with uh, Eddie. So it was called flip right, Z right, Z77, Dover, X Dover. And th- that was the cadence right there. Love it. 
Love it. And God, Boomer selling that play action. Good God. He he was incredible at selling that thing. Um, and we called the play action Pepper. You did? We, yeah, we okay. called Pepper Deep Over. Yeah, that was called it was called Pepper. Oh. The love black it. guys, the black guys called it Peppa. The white guy called it Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, it's been it's been awesome. I, I apologize for some of the the uh confusion i that's my fault getting getting you on here but i i I gotta tell you you are top of the list in terms of guests we have had on the show i love having you on and i appreciate you making time right before a holiday i know you're hanging out with family and stuff um quickly uh just tell the folks in case they're living under a rock where they can still hear your great analysis of the cincinnati Bengals and and all that good stuff we're on the post game show depending on the time if it's a one o'clock game we're on 5 30 to 8 o'clock um on 700 WLW, we're on myself and Chick Lug, which we're, we we cover every game unless it's a night game. If it's a four o'clock game like the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, we were on actually we were on the pregame at noon to two thirty, and then we come back in studio and we're on from five thirty to I'm, I'm sorry eight thirty to eleven o'clock. So that's a long day of radio. It is. It is. Well, I appreciate the time. I know it's late for you. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. You, you hanging out with the family, I assume, or, or absolutely. Uh, my, my, yeah. as a matter of fact, my middle daughter just came in and knocked the door. I knocked on the door. She just got in from. Um, she's in medical school at uh, Emory in Atlanta, so she just she just came home and I looked and I I'm looking at my beautiful daughter, <laughs> and then I look down at the screen. I got and these get, two guys. These two ugly mugs. Me. Yeah, look yeah. At this face I gotta look at. Yeah. <laughs> well, go go say hi to that daughter for, right, for us and uh, go go have a great holiday. Hopefully, we can have you on again soon. I I, I love know, the brother. time, but uh, have a good holiday. Thanks, Tim. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, my brothers. Back Appreciate at you. Okay, thanks. Back at you. All right. I love that guy. Uh, I I dig his analysis. I dig his real nature uh, with, with everything. You may not always agree or you may kind of flinch a little bit with some of the things he says, but he tells it like it is. And I don't know. I love it, man. It's almost like you should do that for a living, you know, talk about the Bengals. He I seems know. like he's pretty good at it. He's, he's decent at it. He's he's pretty damn good as a player and he's pretty damn good as an uh, analyst now with the team. And uh, I, I just love, love his takes. Uh, we, we're running up against it. It was a great talk with him. I feel a little bad that his daughter walked in while he was on a show with us. Feel bad about that, but I'm glad he's able to spend some time there. Um, we'll, we'll just kind of go uh, quickly, kind of quick keys to this game against the Steelers, John, in a prediction, and then we will hop on out of here. Oh, man, I think TJ Watt's got to be the difference here. He did not practice, or he was limited in Wednesday's practice. He's still dealing with a hip and knee, but Mike Tomlin alluded to uh, there being a good chance for him, Mika Fitzpatrick, who I think is good to go, and Joe Hayden to all mm-hmm. potentially return in this game. TJ Watt not playing in Week 3 made such a difference in the fact that Burrow did not get sacked, barely got hit, and allowed the Bengals' offense to be successful against a defense that they normally don't succeed against. If Watt does play, even at like maybe 80%, that is something to watch for, considering that Riley Reef is not really playing his best football right now. It can make a huge difference in this game, and it's why maybe they won't be able to, I guess, have a carbon copy type of key uh, or success planning against this defense. You got a prediction? 
Oof. <laughs> I am not very good at predicting Bengals games this year. I think even going back to the Ray- Ravens game, I'm like over the last three or four. And I thought about you with the with the result last week. I, I thought you know, about you with the result last week. I was like, John. In, in, in one way, <laughs> if I'm predicting lo- if I'm predicting losses, then like I then they're gonna win. So I'm gonna reverse that reverse psychology here. I think that just like this last week, that the Steelers have components that can give the Bengals troubles, specifically with the pass rush. I don't think the Steelers often should scare the Bengals defense at all. I don't think that they're gonna give up more than like 20 points in this game despite Ben still being able to throw football some way, somehow. But with that being said, even with TJ Watt coming back, I think that they're finding something with their running game. I think that they're going to have a a plan to mitigate TJ Watt's impact. And after all that, like the Steelers are still the Steelers and they're going to keep this game close. And I can definitely see the Steelers coming back, coming out on top of this one. But something tells me, that Burrow is going to bounce back from last week, have a more consistent game. They're going to be all out to to nullify the pass rush. Maybe Jamar Chase plays with an edge based off of what Mike Tomlin said about him just being an upstart mm-hmm. guy that takes the league by storm. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has a decent game. I, I think the Bengals do pull out some type of a three-point victory here. But again, I can see the Steelers losing, so I'm, I'm hedging the bet there. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you guys the out. Like I'm, I'm kind of expecting this to be close. So if the Bengals... If the Bengals lose, then it's on me for predicting them, predicting them the win. But it's not like I'm very confident in that. I, I just, I don't know. I'm feeling like a 23 to 20 victory here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the coin flip game type of type of thing. I think the Steelers will play better for a number of different reasons this time around than last time. Um, you know, we can talk about Joe Mixon getting going. We can talk about the offensive line, of course, and those are those are things. Obviously, the defense not giving up huge plays, et cetera. But I think it goes back to kind of one of the things we talked about with Tim McGee, and that is the entire wide receiving core has to come to play. And they, they, they you've got to be able to show that Higgins can be who we know he can be and be a threat. You have to be able to show that Tyler Boyd's going to be a guy you can look to and move the chains. And you have to be able to know and utilize Jamar Chase for the big plays. That's what the keys to success were early in this season. They were mixing the ball around, and when one guy wasn't showing up or when one guy wasn't in the game plan, the two other guys were, and they were using him to perfection. And I think that that has to be a key this week, especially with the supposed returns of Minka Fitzpatrick and Joe Hayden um, to this this secondary. So they're going to kind of have that covered stock back up there. And the Bengals took advantage of them earlier this year. So they need to do the same and, and be able to show that they've got multiple multiple threats. I, I'm with you. I think this is maybe a, you know, a, a 26-23, a, you know, 27-21 at the max type of thing. I, I'm going to pick the Bengals. Our buddy Malik Wright, uh, he he thinks the Bengals have been all along have, have, are going to sweep the Steelers. So I think he still thinks that. So I'll go. I'll ride with him. Um, and and go with that, but uh, that's that's kind of what I've got. Also, I don't think it's official yet, but I believe the uniform combo is going to be orange and black uh, with black okay. pants. So it should be like the debut of that. I don't think they lose very much in that. So very yeah. smart of them to bring that out. That's what they wore last year on that Monday night game. So yeah, put that in your analytics. All right. Well, we're gonna get on out of here. Before we do, we would be remiss if we did not tell you about symbol uh we had just a jam-packed show and we had we usually get to this in the middle but 
we want to tell you about Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L.com slash O-B-I. This is where you can buy teams and play Symbol like it's the stock market. You can invest in teams, whether it's short-term or long-term, and make some money. And they are so confident that you will be successful on their platform that they are giving our listeners a very special promotion with the promo code OBI. John, you want to tell them what that is? They're so confident, like Anthony mentioned, that you can deposit up to $500 on the symbol market. First, you go to symbol.com backslash OBI, use the promo code OBI. Then you make your initial deposit of up to $500. Put that $500 into whatever you want on the symbol market. You can go NFL teams, NBA teams, MLB teams, NHL teams, college football teams, only Power 5, unfortunately. But all five of those leagues put up to $500 into whatever you want. And for the first three months, if you are, for whatever reason, unsatisfied with symbol, you're losing money, you just realize this just isn't for you, you can take out that though, that initial investment 100% risk-free for the first 90 days. Symbol will not hold it against you. You will get your money back 100% of it, guaranteed. That's how confident that they are and you being happy with investing in the symbol market and staying in for the long term. Because don't, don't just take it from us. Go to their website. It is, according to them, the stock market for sports because that's literally what this is. You have stock prices listed for every single one of these teams and they change based off of user activity. And if you believe that a team like the Bengals or the Buckeyes or the Blue Jackets or the Reds are going to be in it for the long term and you think they're going to be good for the long term and you want to invest in their price now and watch that grow, Symbol is the place for you. It is the market for you. So definitely go to Symbol.com backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI. Take advantage of this great deal that they have going on right now. Make yourself some money. Go check it out. Thanks, John. Hey, our thanks to Tim McGee. He was awesome. Brought it. Uh we we are so so grateful with him uh, working working us into his schedule. I know he's got a lot going on, including family stuff and everything. But a great guest as always. And um, I don't have much, John, except to say Happy Thanksgiving, brother. I, I know you're uh, hanging out with some family and stuff, but uh, hope you have a good holiday, my friend. Hope you have a good one too. G- give me your give me your ideal plate that that you're gonna have on on Thursday. Give me like a couple sides and, and like the main meal. So here's the deal. Uh, we we do this deal where you know we we do the in-laws, then we do my parents' house. I, I you know I I wish we did kind of the one centralized one big deal, um, but you know it would be like one is at two p.m. and one is at like six p.m. and it's like you're having the same exact meal. So what we've done this year is we've switched it up. We're actually doing a brunch type of thing with my family. So we're doing yes. more of a thing like that, and then doing a dinner. And my wife's older brother is uh, a, a big meat guy he's he's got like smokers and you know pits and all kinds of different things and so along with the traditional every other traditional thanksgiving meal he actually throws in a a really really good tri-tip he makes so um you know for for brunch you know all the breakfast foods i'm a big breakfast guy i love the eggs the bacon all that kind of stuff and then later i love i love me some green bean casserole i love me some cranberry sauce turkey's okay um but that 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 tri-tip i know it's not a traditional thanksgiving meal uh staple but the way he makes it, man it's it's pretty dang tasty man brunch some smoked meats dare to be great man i i, I appreciate that <laughs> how about you? you are you a pumpkin pie guy there's a whole debate going on about pumpkin pie are you a pumpkin pie guy for the first 23 years i couldn't stand pumpkin pie but now i don't really mind it i feel like i always thought it would taste like actual pumpkins like the stuff yeah. that you take out of pumpkins <laughs> so i was just kind of scared of it but it's not that bad 
But, you know, like the Thanksgiving food is just so traditional and people are so afraid from veering off from that tradition. You know, it's ridiculous. You can eat whatever you want for Thanksgiving. My family is doing some salmon, doing some roasted vegetables. Got to have some stuffing. Got to have some mac and cheese. Got to have some mashed potatoes. Going to have some color on the plate. But dare to be different. Dare to be great. Veer away from that bland bland turkey that you we always eat. You know, the, the salmon. That's a good. That's a nice touch. I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, good. Well, have a good time, bud. And uh, thank you to Tim McGee. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. The icon is below John there, way down in the corner there. You can click that, subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And of course, you can get this podcast, Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel available on your favorite audio streamer whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones. We are there. Subscribe and leave a review. Appreciate it, John. We're going to hop out of here. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Have a good one, and happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. All right. Take it easy.